We gather today mindful that we are called together into one body. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear, to understand not only what God is doing in our midst, but what God calls us to do on behalf of the world so that the realm of God may be visible here and now. Come, let us worship together. Please stand. Oh God, open my lips and my mouth shall reading from Luke chapter 24. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, 
Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the only one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish are you, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophet had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah would suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he, was, if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went, to, he, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Here ends the reading. When I meet new people who ask me what I do, I often tell them I'm fortunate enough to work at a Christian university that encourages and supports an exchange of ideas about matters of reason and matters of faith. What's great about this is that I'm in a place where I feel free every day to exercise both of these extraordinary gifts without fear of ridicule or of reprisal. The intersection of faith and reason is marked with a history of memorable encounters. Many an interesting and spirited thinker has paused to explore the crossroad with energy and excitement, and it is still well worth exploring. Our amazing advances in science and technology have not eliminated the opportunities that are inherent in this interchange. Reason, following the intricate wiring of the brain, to reach its wonderful conclusions, theories, and hypotheses, continues to ask, if this is so, wouldn't that be so as well? Faith says firmly and simply, this is so. Faith is positive and expects a good outcome. It helps us operate hopefully in the world. It helps us go forth. It gives us joy. One of my colleagues told me the other day that I needed to see the best exotic Marigold Hotel. It's a movie about Sonny, a young entrepreneur who's trying to build up a hotel business in India. His hotel seems to be consistently structurally challenged. Lots of plumbing and other problems that prompt his British guests to threaten to, threaten to leave. To prevent this, Sonny tells them often and optimistically, everything will be all right in the end. And if it isn't all right, it isn't the end. <laughs> Faith is like that. It keeps our eyes open to the many opportunities present for us every day, for ways we can fix things and ways we can help people 
and ways we can plan for good outcomes. Unfortunately, faith can sometimes falter. It's relatively easy to walk through life and block out signs and signals from other realms. As we heard in Jessica's scripture reading, even Jesus' disciples failed to recognize him as he walked with them after his resurrection. They couldn't imagine that he would be alive and in their midst. Only later were they able to recognize him. And when they gathered with the other disciples, they could then listen and understand his words. Peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, even so I send you. And they went, as they were asked to do. I see and meet so many people who have similar responses, who were able to say, as Isaiah did too, when he understood what the Lord wanted, here I am, send me. Uh, Francis Bacon, in an essay in 1620 called The Four Idols, has a name for our heavy reliance on our senses to interpret and misinterpret our world. He labels it the idol of the tribe, by which he means the human tribe. We are, he says, restricted in our access to the whole of reality because our eyes and our other senses can perceive only so much of that reality. Bacon lived in a time when optics were still developing and evolving. Really, our eyes are themselves like little optical devices fashioned to take in only so much of all that is, only as much as the design of this little machine will allow. What manner of stuff lurks out there beyond the reach of our specialized visual apparatus is an unsolved mystery, and our curiosity draws us to the solving of this mystery. The developers of optics, a fascinating bunch, fashioned lenses that expanded the natural limits of the eye mechanism, so much so that to look through their microscopes was to see whole new worlds of tiny, wiggling, pulsing things no one had ever seen before or had even guessed existed. In a similar way, the telescope opened up other undreamed of vistas. This history reminds us that we can't depend solely on our primary senses to tell us all there is to know about the realities we live in and among. If we were to rely only on our senses to give us the truth about our condition and circumstances, we would say, we're all sitting quite still right now on a flat piece of the planet, not that we're traveling along on a curved surface at an orbit speed of about 67,000 miles an hour and revolving as well as we turn first away from and then again into the sun. And if we were to rely only on our senses, we might assume that because all we can hear around us are the sounds within earshot, then that is all there is to hear. We know better. Scientists told us long ago that there are many frequencies right here in close proximity, frequencies beyond the access of the limited mechanisms of the human ear, but accessible to us nonetheless. If we wanted, for example, to plug in a radio and tune some of these frequencies in, we could. Since about 1970, I've shared a 160-acre farm on a small, fairly isolated island in British Columbia with eight other land partners. Whenever I go to stay, stay there, it takes some time for me to adjust to the pristine environment. In the clear air, without the sounds of traffic and other such pleasantries, the island at first seems empty, quiet, flatly silent. It's as though there's nothing to hear, even when the ears strain mightily to pick up sound. Only gradually do my ears adjust to the subtle noises of the deserted dirt roads, the forests, the animals, and the birds. In the process of adjusting, I'm always aware that I am tuning in and tuning into another different, more refined frequency. 
The tuning is done consciously and reminds me a little of the concentrated listening required for tuning a musical instrument. It reminds me too of the process of accessing what I've come to think of as the frequency of prayer. Christ taught that prayer is the medium through which we can communicate with the divine. Many of us who have had experience with prayer, with prayer would agree that it involves another kind of a sense, another level of concentration, and one that is characterized by a two-way connection. When an instrument is carefully and precisely tuned, it will answer your searching fingers with its essence and then can optimally manifest its own presence. When we make a connection in prayer, the divine presence will manifest in a similar way. To be open to this communication is to tune into its frequency and try to listen carefully for guidance and direction. Carrie Kinsolving sees faith as a supreme act that can open our eyes to realms beyond the five senses. When we feel weak in our faith, we can revisit the crossroad of faith and reason. Ask reason what it thinks is most likely to be true. Is it more likely that there is nothing much beyond what our senses can access, our words define, our technologies discover? Or is it perhaps likely that there is much right here, right before our eyes, so to speak? That we are unaware of. When we search out and find the frequency of the prayer, we dwell again in the faith that the Lord is surely with us. And that, like Sonny kept proclaiming, proclaiming in his Marigold Hotel, everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. 